0: I'm so glad that you joined us today. I hope you've enjoyed your time with family. I hope you didn't stuff yourselves too much. As we anticipate this this Christmas season, the Advent, I'm so excited about a series we're going to kick off next week. This week we're going to use one more Sunday to focus in on the Book of Nehemiah. We're going to actually talk about one of my favorite passages of Scripture. So in the Book of Nehemiah, as we end Chapter Seven, pick up Chapter Eight. We're going to see a passage of Scripture that reminds us what it means to not just be exposed to the truth of God's word, but for it to be something that we take appropriately seriously in such a way that it changes our lives. But we're going to kick off a series next week that I'm excited about that's going to focus in on the weeks through Christmas and Christmas Eve on what it means for us to have a God who, the incarnate God that came to dwell amongst us, that was born 100% man and 100% God. And that it ultimately leads you and I to have to decide how we're going to respond to that God. Is he going to be our King of Kings and our Lord of Lords? So I'm excited about the series. I'm excited about studying God's Word together with you. We would love to challenge you to invite friends and family to join us for this series that will kick off next week. I know there's some decorating going on today, as I don't know why I point at you. Um, Jim's going to do this all by himself. Um, But uh, no, we've got, I think it's 20 of you. Uh, 20 of you are going to be decorating today here and making us look a little more Christmassy here. But we are excited to continue this morning on our series through the book of Nehemiah. This morning, we're going to focus in on what it means for us to be people who take God at his word it's one of our core values here at hope it's something that we say is valuable to us but the question that that stands before the people of israel at this point as we continue through this restoration process of seeing god's worship being restored in israel we're going to see that they totally got this one right what they chose to do is to take God's word. They're going to bring in the scribe Ezra to read the truth of God's word. They're going to declare it in such a public way that ultimately I think Ezra thought they were going to be rejoicing in the message. Nehemiah wanted them to rejoice in the message. They thought it was going to be positive. In fact, the listeners though are weeping because God's word speaks to them in such a personal and intimate way that they mourn the fact that there's things that they have to get right. But At the end of the day, what we see is they respond in worship. We see that they take God's word seriously and it changes things. And I I think this morning, as we head into this study, I can't help but think, now when you think about how many church services uh, in your life, can you try to get a number in your mind of how many church services you've attended in your life? I see a couple of you that are pastor's kids, you're like a billion. Uh, You're like, I gotta carry the zero here, you know? And uh, think about how many services you've been to, how many messages you've heard. And today, as we study this, I'm going to guess that for some of us, we recognize that we expose ourselves to a lot of truth. But the question that's going to come to the surface is, so what? What's this mean in my life? How does this impact my life. Now, as a person who teaches, I've been in some interesting settings. One time I was teaching a group of students, and there was a little guy that had borrowed two erasers, and he was doing a, um, an air combat reenactment of World War I or with full audio, right? So he said, I'm trying to preach. And he's like, do I won't do it for you right now, but he, you know, this, and then after about 10 minutes of that, I think he, the sugar ran out for him and he just fell asleep. Drool was falling, the whole thing, right? But I couldn't help but laugh when I saw this happen because it took me back to when I was 13 years old going to summer camp and I had committed myself, none of you would ever have done something so dumb, but I had committed myself to for the week-long summer camp that I wasn't gonna sleep at all. So my friends and I had agreed to that and that was before monster energy drinks had been invented yet. Can you even imagine that, that there was a day? But uh, Mountain Dew did its part and it was like day four, uh, we hadn't slept, we were staying up and, and, the, and I just my eyelids just started to get just a little bit heavy. And then they got really heavy. And then I fell asleep. My friends around me told me that I was snoring, right? And um, then I woke up to my large youth pastor in the middle of the guy's teaching going, Brennan, here, now. (laughs) And I um, woke up and then I crawled out over all of my friends because of course I'm sitting in the middle aisle, right? And we get outside and Tony looks at me and he says, Sean, you are never going to understand how frustrating it is to have someone fall asleep in your services when you're preaching. And I thought, that's pretty ironic nowadays, isn't it? So, that, that God would give me the privilege of experiencing that in other settings. But I confess to you this morning that when it comes to God's word... That there's times where I've chosen to put myself under the authority of God's word. I've chosen to listen. And we're going to see this in Nehemiah chapter 8. That we're going to see that ultimately these individuals hear this truth and it changes everything for them. It moves them to action. There's this impromptu worship service that happens in the middle of the passage. And then later we see that ultimately they're repenting. They, they un, unleash a new festival that they hadn't done in a long time because they're reading God's Word, and they're like, wait a second, we haven't been doing this. What's going on? We, we got to fix this. And they they put themselves under God's Word, and it changes their lives radically. This morning, the, the point that we're going to focus in on together, the, it's going to be the first point this morning, but it's also going to be the central point of this message, is that God's Word reveals to you and I God's goals. It doesn't just tip uh, give us tips to achieve our own goals do you understand the difference between that so it's not me going all right God I got the agenda all figured out I got it you know the year one I'm here two three four I've got it all figured out and I just need you to help me to succeed in what I've already figured out that I want my life to be about know what God's word does for us if we choose to put ourselves under the authority of God's word it's actually us going Lord what, what do you want what do you want to do This is your thing, this is your story. How can I come under your plan in my life? And if you have your Bibles, I'm gonna invite you to turn with me to Nehemiah chapter seven, actually. We're gonna catch the last part of the last verse in Nehemiah chapter seven, and then we're gonna read together Nehemiah chapter eight. And part of the the thing that's helpful for us as we talk about studying God's word is I wanna remind you, When it comes to studying God's word, one of the first things that is essential for us to do is actually study God's word, to listen, to the truth of God's word, and to remember when this was originally written that they didn't have those little numbers next to it. In fact, one scholar, they used to mock those who put these numbers in that they didn't always quite get them in the right place. They said it was like somebody did it when they were on horseback facing backwards. Have you heard that before? That, that they put these numbers in, these aren't inspired. But what it helps us to do is to get the context if we go back to the verse that was at the beginning there. So, and when the seventh month had come, the people of Israel were in their towns if you were here last week we talked about worship and we talked about the fact that at this point the city of israel had not been restored yet in such a way that people had returned And so individuals had gone back to their homes after some of the rebuilding process. They'd gone back to Jericho, Bethlehem, some of these geographical places that were in the region. And now what happens is that they're in the middle of a season where they're celebrating festivals. So there would have been a feast of atonement that would have happened. There would have been others that would have made them gather together in Israel. And in this time, what they choose to do is call Ezra. Now, we've talked about Ezra before. He's described as a scribe. He's going to ultimately declare the truth of God's word. And so th- there's this sense of them being there going, like, what do you got for us? What do you, what do you got, Ezra? We, we want to hear this. Remember, they didn't have the privilege of having a copy of God's word in front of them. So Ezra unravels the scroll, and he tells us this truth, and the people choose to submit it. They allow this to be God's agenda, not their own agenda being supported. In verse one of chapter eight, it says this, and all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. You get that as one man, like a the uh, the the ball drop parade that happens at New Year's, you know, where everybody's just so packed in, they're they're eager to see what's going to happen. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. I want to pause here and point out something. I love at hope that we have students in the, the church services. I think it's wonderful and. What I like about this description in the text is that it ultimately says that that it doesn't matter if you're old or gray-haired or if you have been exposed to truth for a long time. You can be young and understand the truth of God's Word. In fact, some individuals who I believe understand God's Word are those who are new to being exposed to it, but that have chosen to say, hey, this is for me. This is something I want to take serious. It's personal. And they chose to let everybody who is able to hear and to listen, to hear the truth of God's word. Verse three, and he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday. We're going to practice this today. We're going to lock the doors and keep you here till four this afternoon. You in? Oh, just one person's in. All right. We'll, we'll have a good time together. He and I, we don't care about the Browns. I mean, we do. I mean, oh, I didn't say that out loud. Did I? I didn't say anything about the Browns. So I didn't even think it. All right. That's good. So, um, and he read from, I do care about the Browns a little bit, those of you who are worried. Okay. And he read verse three, and he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and women and those who could understand. And the ears of all of the people were attentive to the book of the law. One of the things we know biblically is that there will be a time period in history, we're warned about this, that there will be a time period when people surround themselves with teachers that just say back to them what they want to hear. I know this in my own life, one of the sad things about getting older is that it 's easy to try to find people around you that you share your experience and they say yeah that 's right you 're totally right. You should go punch them in the face you know um, not, not that that 's the one, but you can find people that surround you that may or may not affirm what 's accurate or true and Here what we see is that um, we see this this kind of playing out that they 're choosing to say we 're going to trust god 's word to be the authority. In Second Timothy, the apostle Paul warned Timothy, and he said this, he said, for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to miss that God knows that that's our tendency. And in in a technology, the technology filled world that we live in, we know we can find somebody who will regurgitate back to us the things that we want to hear and here the warning or the challenge is to say, no, God's got to be the one to set the agenda. Ultimately, they chose to sit underneath God's truth and they were able to hear this truth in such a way that it changed their lives. So God's word reveals to us that he reveals to us God's goals, not just tips to achieve our own goals. So what we know here is that the Israelites were hungry to let God's word set the agenda for their lives, whatever that agenda was going to be. So they began with God's word, which is the right place to begin. I would say to you that as I study God's word, one of the temptations is to grab out a commentary or a resource that others who are smarter than me have read or studied. But my commitment is to start first with the truth of God's word. to to pay attention to some of the other things, the notes at the bottom, the study bible, the, the other sermons, the other messages, but to begin first with the truth of God's word. And that's what they did in the time of Nehemiah in this chapter. They they listen. It said in that last verse, it said that they and the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. They're listening to it. One of the temptations for us, I'm afraid, is that we can move into a mode where we practice eisegesis. And what eisegesis means is that we we take, you guys know what a shoehorn is? My dad has a great shoehorn. It's like pearl-encrusted shoehorn. And it it's it's a way that you take that shoe and you kind of shove into it what you want to fit in there and people do that with god's word actually they they have a preconceived notion of what they want supported and they're going to work hard to try to find a verse that's going to support it what exegesis is is actually having integrity when you study god's word and it's for you to say i'm going to let god's word tell me what it wants to say to me about my life. There's a huge difference between the two. Uh, I have a, a great last name when it comes to being in class and having your name chosen, right? Because most teachers get a little lazy and they say from A to Z, right? So as a Brennan, I was pretty happy growing up with being able to have my name chosen early. And when I was in a preaching class, As a student, I remember that uh, what they would do is, let's say there's 20 people in the class, they had 20 different passages of scripture. You were supposed to read them all ahead of time, and then when they got to your name, you raised your hand, and you said, I want to preach on this passage, right? You followed me? So I am in class, and this evil teacher decided they were going to start with Z, um, which was totally, you know, throwing a a wrench in my system. So by the time they got to the passage that I was going to choose to preach on, uh, I, I think I'd seen it, but I hadn't really read it closely and I remember selecting Proverbs chapter 5. Now I had glanced at the passage and I'm afraid that for some of us one of the things that we do is that we we say, "Oh, I've seen that passage before, so I know what it means." So I volunteered to preach on this particular passage and then I go home and I start to study it and I re- realize pretty quickly that it's not about thievery, which I thought it was, but it's about intimacy in the marriage relationship. Now, a single at the time, I'm already blushing when I'm reading the text. You know, it's not just PG, but it's PG 30. Some of you are looking it up right now. You can look it up later. But but it was interesting for me going into it because I thought I knew what the passage said. And I'm afraid in some of the contexts that we're in here in local church that for our students, sometimes... They've heard a message before. You've been exposed to it. I've heard that story before. It, it was deemed age appropriate for me. So I've, I've heard this story many times. And so, so when someone says, hey, turn your Bibles to this passage of scripture, you kind of move into that white noise mode where you go, oh yeah, I've already, I've already heard that. One of my favorite pastors who had a tremendous influence in my life was the senior pastor that I served underneath in California. He had his PhD, written commentaries, fantastic student of God's word. And one of the things that shocked me was that even though he'd written commentaries on passages of scripture, that he would begin when he went to study God's word with this sense of, I'm going I'm to start from scratch. I'm going to read this as if I've never read it before, and I want to honor the Lord. He spent so many hours in preparation for sermons, and, and his goal was to say that I would never let that thought cross my mind that... Oh, I've, I've heard that before. I know it. You know, we, we talk about God's word biblically, like it's living, right? That it's active, that it's, it's sharp. It, it, knows, it knows what we desperately need. And so the arrogance that a person can have when they come to it and they say, Oh yeah, I've already seen it before. Or to, to be able to say, I'm going to shoehorn my views into this passage of scripture. It's not only wrong, it's tremendously dangerous. And it leads us to the second point this morning, and that is God's word requires understanding, not just exposure. I had one one friend used to say this. He said, just because I go into a pet store doesn't make me a poodle. (laughs) And I, I think when we talk about all those sermons that you've heard in your life, that you've sat through messages where there's information shared with you, just because somebody tried to teach you it, doesn't necessarily mean that it's become a part of your life or that you've chosen to submit to that authority in your life. What happens in the case of the people of Israel is that they ultimately do submit to the authority of God's word. They choose to place themselves under God's word and the impact in their lives is quite profound. If you pick up back up with me in verse four, we'll continue to study it together. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. And by, beside him stood a lot of great people. And in verse five, it said, and Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all of the people. And as he opened it, all of the people stood. So you get this picture There. They're expecting that God's going to speak to them. They stand up. All of them stand together. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all of the people answered, amen, amen, lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads, and they worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. I wish I could have seen this worship service. They, they're reading God's word together, and they're responding. Remember, we talked about that last week, about worship, worth-ship, that they've gone... I can't do anything but to respond to the goodness of our God. Verse 7, also, Yeshua and Benai and Cherubiah and, and these others, what they do then is that the Levites helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. They read from the book of the law clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. So what happened was there's there's this public public description of God's word. It's taught publicly. People are in the audience. They're hearing this truth. And then what happens is that while they're in their places, individuals go and they answer their questions. They wrestle with the text. What's that mean? I don't understand. Do you see how powerful this kind of engagement is? And I want to challenge you as you listen to teachings that that there's this wonderful book written by Parker Palmer. The title is Let Your Life Speak. And his premise is the way that the Holy Spirit works. Remember, the the Holy Spirit was involved in the authoring of God's word. The Holy Spirit, for those of us who are believers, is in the process of informing us of the truth of God's word. And one of the things that might happen is the person who's teaching you might have a premise or a point that they're trying to drive home. Sean's got his point, he's trying to make it. But as you're seeing the truth of God's word, you may look at this and you may say, but God's really teaching me something else that's really important from God's word. And what Parker Palmer recommends, and I love this truth, he said, write it down. What's God saying to you? What's he teaching you from his word? In the case that we're studying, what's interesting is that the guys are listening to this and again, Ezra and Nehemiah are both like, hey, this is great news. This is really positive. You guys should be throwing a party afterwards. And actually the people were going, you know what? there's parts of our life that are falling short of the glory of God, that we got to make some things right in our life. And so they, by putting themselves under the authority of God, they, they choose to submit to his truth. And I love this artistic rendition of what this would look like. You've got, you've got Ezra reading the, reading the scrolls and then you've got the guys around him. And then you've got people who are responding, they're reacting. And, and I, I think in this context of the local church, we're even talking about sermons and those kind of things. For some of you, as you, you this, this can feel very one-sided, right? How much longer is it going to go? We got, we got lunch to get to, we got the game to get to, or, or you just listen and you hear, but I think what they model for us is something different. We use this word sometimes. One of our core values is to be self-feeders of God's word. In other words, you see something you disagree with, and the goal isn't for you to just go, oh, because he said so, because Jim said that, that's, he's smart, and so I'm just going to trust him. No, it's actually that you understand it. And for those of you who are teachers, and we've got a bunch of them here, some, those of you who are Bible teachers or your classroom teachers, some of you work in our children's ministries and help with our kids, I want you to notice something in the text here is that they do this with patience. That they they choose to just share. This is what happens. This is the story. This is the truth. And they allow the fact that this is a journey that an individual's on. I I think as a pastor and with the privilege of, of speaking here, one of the one of the challenges to me, it was said this way, that that you cannot impart to other people what you yourself do not possess. Have you heard that before? It's a great message, a great point. I can't share with somebody else something that I myself don't have. And even when it comes to understanding the truth of God's word, they say that a mist in the pulpit can lead to a fog in the pew, right? You've heard that before. The idea there is to say this ought to be something that we take so seriously that we choose to say that it requires understanding, not just hearing. It goes on in the text in verse 9 to describe the reaction to the truth of God's word. In verse 9, it says this, And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest and the scribe, and the Levites who taught the people said to all of the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people wept as they'd heard the words of the law. Before I I go much further, that pastor that I mentioned earlier that I love and respect in California, one of the things that he used to say is that he struggled with when he preaches Having uh, their kind of trite applications for truth. And part of the reason why I said that is they said, I don't want to do that because I believe the work of the Holy Spirit is going to potentially apply God's word in different ways to different people. It's part of the beauty of us having access to the author. So in my life, the Lord may have one application, and in your life, He may have a tremendously different one. That's a part of why this is active and dynamic. In their case, they're going to respond with weeping when the teacher assumed that they ought to respond with rejoicing. In verse 10, then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat and drink the sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready for this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength. What a tremendous phrase. So the Levites claimed all the, calmed all the people saying, be quiet for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all of the people went their way to eat and to drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. This morning, as we talk about taking God at his word, that last sentence is really important, that they individually understood. So it's not just that this guy up here understands, it's not just that the teacher understands, and so the one who writes the commentary understands, but that it becomes very, very personal here, and it's that they understood what was happening. This involved them being people who are humble, That they were willing to place themselves in a position to be able to learn and to be taught. And it really took all day. And it was something that, that they chose to submit to and to listen to. We accept this morning that exposure does not necessarily guarantee understanding. It doesn't make us the very thing that we're being exposed to. And what we see here too is that they patiently taught with clarity and with giving understanding. I love this statement in Hebrews chapter four, verse 12. It says this, it says, for the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and of the spirit of joints and marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Just love that description of God's word. It's it's God's handiwork that he's doing. Praise the Lord, we still have access to the author. And that his Holy Spirit, according to the book of John, gives us understanding of the truth of God's word. So first thing I do when I study God's word is to begin with prayer. Lord, teach me what you want to teach me today. Second thing I do is begin with the truth of God's word and say, Lord, this is your book, your message. What do you want to teach me today? Ultimately, the third point this morning, and probably I hope the most meaningful to you, is that God's word requires handling with respect. These individuals in this this time period decided that they were going to honor the truth of God's word. They're going to revere it. They're going to handle it appropriately. On the second day, what we see in the next verse is the heads of the houses are going to come together. They're going to hear the truth of God's word. And it's ultimately going to lead them to to rekindle a tradition there, a feast that they used to do called the Feast of Booths. Pastor Jim preached about it uh, several months ago here and they're and they going to re-enter into a practice that they literally are just looking at and they're going ah oh, i forgot about that let's we got to do this we got to take this seriously we've got to change things around here so they they came in that context prepared to receive a message i i have had a good friends over the years that on saturday night if you ask them to do something they say yeah we can do something but we don't want to stay out too late because we want to make sure that we get a good night's sleep for church the next morning um, they're they're much better Christians than I am because they think that way. But what they're they're thinking through is they're saying, "Hey, like we, we want to take this seriously. We want to be attentive. We want to value this. This is precious to us. It's worth us choosing to make space for." They they, they choose to prioritize God's word even when it's something that could be shocking or convicting when it could be challenging. You remember that that tickling ears passage that we talked about earlier? I think that's the natural place for us. Surround ourselves with people who wanna share back with us what we wanna to hear. To actually study and take God at his word, it means that we're people who handle it with respect. What we accept is that the deceiver also knows the truth of God's word, and he has a way of twisting it. Do you remember in the Garden of Eden that, that the deceiver what he chose to do when when eden or when eve is interacting with him in eden and when she's talking to him he, he quotes god but he says did he really say and then he he adds this extra part about not touching and then in the book of john when the lord jesus is tempted what we see is the deceiver actually uses scripture he abuses scripture he does the eisegesis thing that we talked about earlier where where satan incarnate chooses to tempt christ using scripture. And so if we stand back and we say, hey, just because I'm exposed to God's word mean I, I understand it. No, actually what Paul warned Timothy is that he said to him, we need to be people who rightly handle the word of truth. No, there's a lot of ways to abuse the truth of God's word. For some people, they uh, they, they put in scripture things in their minds that don't really exist in, in scripture. I, I asked uh, the, the service earlier to turn to the book of hezekiah and uh, they giggled at me but um, you know for some for some of us in our in our bibles like we we quote verses that don't exist they they coined this word this last year you may have heard this text jacking like hijacking but you're going to take a text and you're just going to twist it and turn it into something that fits your own desires i think that that happens like we take things out of context we we choose to manipulate them and twist them into fulfilling the agenda that we have. When Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.15 to rightly handle the word of truth, there's an inherent warning with that, and that is that we can ultimately wrongly handle the word of truth. So here what we have is, is these individuals that are choosing to receive the message of God. They're choosing to submit to it. It changes their actions. Great things come out of it, and we go a long way into seeing actually the fulfillment of God's will in the restoration of Jerusalem. So this point, I think, is helpful for us. The sub-point here is doing demands understanding, and understanding demands doing. That, That they're hearing the truth. The reason why this is a beautiful passage is that they actually do it. They take it seriously. It changes their lives. And the end result of this... Is something that's deeply profound it moves them forward to what god wants to do so like james says don't just be hearers of god's truth but to be doers we also see that god is at work helping them to apply this truth in their lives in the world that you and i live in we do not have a lack of access to the truth of god's word if you don't have a bible we can get you one we we have tremendous access so this idea of understanding God's word or even putting ourselves under the authority of God's word has little to do with choosing to have access to the Bible. What we have to do is to be people who choose to place ourselves under the authority of God's word. That means that we take it personally, right? It means that we become self-feeders of God's word. So in this, in this point, taking God at his word in our situation is not a matter of access. Do I have a Bible? But it's a matter of me saying am i going to choose to prioritize this in my life what's this look like in my day-to-day life i am afraid that we choose to allow this truth to be someone else's truth and i think the helpful thing that we see in, in god's word this morning is that those individuals that heard this message they actually just really took it personal they said you know what this is for me and it changed their lives radically and I believe as a church that this can be a part of our story, that we can choose to be people who say, you know what, I'm going to choose to listen up. I'm going to choose to take God of his word. I'm going to choose to be a self-feeder of God's word. And I believe that it has the potential of changing everything in our lives. If you'd join me in prayer, I'd appreciate it. Lord, we love you. And I thank you and praise you for the amount of exposure to your truth that we have, that we have such tremendous access to your word. I pray at hope that every individual here, some of them visitors, some of here for the very first time, some of them family members who've uh, been invited or brought in, I pray for each one of them that they would understand your word, not just as an ancient book that is old and has nothing to say to them in their lives, but for every single one of us that we would be people who choose to say that this is the word of life. Lord, this 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 book contains a message of hope that it knows our, our innermost needs, our fears, our dreams, because it's a living book authored by a living God. And I pray for each and every person here that that would be their story. I pray that each individual would choose to say that they're ready to follow the example of those in this ancient story that chose to hear, to fight, to understand, and to allow it to be a true part of their lives. I was encouraged yesterday by my parents that they reminded me that the pastor that I grew up with would close each of his services with a doxology out of the book of Jude. And I want to close this morning, uh, this message out with this in verse 24 of Jude chapter one. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. And all God's people said.